All right, thank you for that, Sheldon. That was a good reminder that uh, we're to preach the word, do the work of an evangelist to those around us. And that's not just the role of the pastor, right? Uh, it's really uh, our job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And oftentimes, um, you guys are the ones who lead more people to Christ, raise them up as followers of Christ, uh, far more potential for sure than we as leaders. And uh, there's no more noble thing to do with your life than to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, as you guys know, next week, uh, next Sunday, we're going to be beginning our new series in uh, the book of Romans. And we're going to be in that series for a long time. I'm really looking forward to it. I say that uh, if you understand the book of Romans, then uh, you understand the New Testament. And so it's really Paul's uh, greatest epistle that the Holy Spirit used to write, uh, him to write through. We'll be beginning that next week. And as I was thinking about, um, you know, how would we use this time, this Sunday? Uh, Labor Day weekend is, is uh, it's kind of like a uh, transitional weekend. People are starting school. People kind of see that as the beginning of a new um, season in life and I thought that this would be a good time to talk about uh, just how we view church. And more specifically, what you should look for when you're choosing to be part of a church. You didn't have any control over the family you were born into. You did have a choice, however, of what friends you've chosen to have. You had a choice for those of you that have gotten married on who to, you know, your spouse would be. And in a very similar way, churches like that, you have a choice. Uh, this is very different, the time in which we live in from New Testament times. Uh, in some of these places, there was like one church per city. And so it was a very big deal if you're part of a church, everyone kind of knew you. Uh, but now, you know, there's all these different kinds of churches all over the place. And uh, you have a choice here in America. That's a real blessing that we have that freedom. And I don't know if you ever thought about it, but have you ever asked yourself the question, what criteria should I use to uh, determine if this is a church for me? You should know. You should have an answer to that. Uh, you had a criteria of what you were looking for to, in terms of who to get married to, right? You had a criteria of what you uh, like in a friend. Same thing is true with a church in some ways. And I was thinking about this for a couple different reasons. Number one is uh, they did studies and they found out that from the time that COVID began two and a half years ago to now, it's about two and a half years that um, the average church here in America from the beginning of COVID until now has declined in terms of people being there on average about 10%. Now, that may or may not sound like a lot to you, but uh, for the average church to have declined in a two and a half year span here in America by on average 10% is an enormous statistical deal. I don't think that that's ever happened in the history of, um, of them taking statistics on church growth and church health. Large churches in America from the time 
that COVID began until now have declined on average, many of them by, this is a mind blower, some of them by 50% from the beginning of COVID until now. And of these large churches, there are many of them that have not just declined by 50%, but giving has gone down by 40%. From the beginning of COVID until now. So this is a very big deal. The, uh, the impact that COVID has had on the American church has been immense. You can imagine why some people, you know, we at the beginning, at least people weren't even able to attend at all. Uh, so they go online and through that whole experience, many people just said, I'll be part of a church. Just go online. I, ju- I was just talking to someone what last week. And they said, I go, oh, do you go to a church? And they go, yeah. They go, but I don't go in person. I just go online. I I just find that to be easier. And um, I think there's many Christians who look at it that way, right? They kind of take this amalgamation, this synthesis of YouTube videos or or, um, podcasts, and they go, okay, that's my church. And some people just never came back to church. So that's very distressing to me, what happened, number one with a decline of, of people being part of churches through COVID. The second reason what, that got me thinking about this was I saw um, some statistics recently that said, this was another mind blower to me. It said, when you look at the millennial generation and Gen Z, okay, just millennials are basically anyone that was born around mid-1980s on until the year 2000 or so. Gen Z is born after that. So basically anyone who's about 40 years old and younger in America. When you look at millennials and Gen Z in this country, get this, almost 50% of millennials and Gen Zers now describe themselves as I'm spiritual, I'm good, I'm just not into organized religion. Translation, about half of them say, I don't need church, period. I can just figure it out on my own. Almost half. Is that a mind blower, right? And so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, maybe we should take a Sunday and, and just briefly look at what are some, some principles, what are some encouragements that are clear in our minds about what we should be looking for in a church that we're a part of. And as we go through this, I'm going to give you six principles, six exhortations, six um, um, encouragements, guide, guideposts for you to think about. Uh, and as you do, you should be thinking on the following levels. You should be thinking, number one, do these six principles, these six exhortations, do they apply to City Bible Church? Okay, as I go through these. Number two, you should be thinking, you're going to be talking to people who um, have some church kind of church background, but maybe they're not part of a church. And, uh, and they're looking for a church. What are you going to say to them? Uh, and I, I would say that these are the kind of encouragements you would want to give to them to help guide them to a good church. When people walk in the door to City Bible Church, and I have a chance to talk to them, maybe they're visiting for uh, you know a couple times, stuff, and and um, they ask about our church. I normally give them the content of what I'm about to give you right now. I, you know, I only do it within 60 seconds, so. But um, and I tell them this is what you should look for. And if we're that church, fantastic. If we're not that church, wherever you go, use these 
principles, these exhortations to guide you of the type of church you should be a part of. Now, before I get into this, I want to say a caveat. Um, you can, I can go through this whole thing, and you can come back to me and say, yeah, but Pastor Chris, I prayed about it, and uh, I just get this overwhelming feeling that God wants me to be at Church X. And I can't really, you know, understand it, but I just know I'm supposed to be here. And there is a sense that um, if some of these things are not quite there, uh, but you just know, um, there are, we leave some room for that as long as it's not a core issue that is uh, in disagreement with what we're talking about. Uh, but that said, I'm going to give you now six exhortations on what to look for when you're thinking about what church to be a part of. Okay, so let's go to number one. This is the single most important thing that you need to check out when you're part of a church is what do they believe? Whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry for those of you listening on the tape. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Okay, now here we are. All right, so number one, uh, beliefs. What are the beliefs of the church? This is the number one most important thing that you should look for when you're looking for a church. What does the church believe? What do they say they believe? Why is this important? It's because what you believe, what doctrine you believe, what truths you believe, shape your mind. And how your mind thinks will determine your world view, how you view the world. It will determine what you worship. It will determine what you determine is true. So how your mind thinks, what it believes is critically important. And so when you are looking at a church, the number one most important thing is what does the church say that they believe? Now, People go onto a church website. I don't know how many of you, did any of you go onto the church website before you chose to visit our church? Did any of you check out the belief statement of our church before you did? Um, some of you did, and, and many of you did not, right? Uh, you should check out the doctrinal statement of a church. Unfortunately, today, uh, I have noticed that there's been this trend among in church websites that many churches no longer even put down on their church website, a belief statement. All they put down is, yeah, we're, we're a friendly, loving church, and we care about people, we care about God, but they don't put a belief statement anymore because they want to get away from that. It's unfortunate. It's tragic, really. And so um, churches will put, some churches will put a doctrinal statement on there, but that's not enough. I was having a conversation with someone there, and, oh, look at this doctrinal statement on this church, and I knew what church it was. And they said, well, look, they look pretty legitimate, and I said to this person, yeah, you know what, I, but you know what, I'll tell you something. I have seen um, belief statements on certain church websites that look pretty good, but I know who the pastor is, and I've heard their teaching dozens of times, and they are completely false. And so it's not just enough to see what has been written. You need to listen to what's being taught from the pulpit. You need to see, are these people living out the doctrine in which they say that they believe on their belief statement on their website? 
in the book of Acts, there is a church called at the church uh, at the city of Berea in Acts 17. Uh, Berea is in modern day uh, northern Greece, that area. And when the Apostle Paul went to Berea in Acts 17 on his second missionary journey, he stopped at a church, what well, was actually a synagogue there, and this was a bunch of Jewish believers uh, in the Jewish faith. Paul started preaching in the synagogue. They, these people came to faith. But I want you to notice something in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, uh, and verse 12. In verse 11, it says, Now these Jews, that was the Jews at Berea, were more noble than the, those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining, listen to this, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so, the things that Paul was teaching them. Verse 12, many of them were therefore believed and with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. We want to be like this church. We want to be like the Berean church. When you're part of a church, let's say at City Bible Church, you look on our belief statements, okay, it looks good. Now you listen to the teaching. What are you supposed to do? You are supposed to listen to whatever teaching you're being exposed to and check it against the scriptures yourself. You have your own Bible. And you would ask yourself, like the Bereans, is what I'm being taught in line with what the Bible says? And then I know that uh, what they say they believe is what they're teaching. First um, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. The Apostle Paul said that. That's a verse that we looked at last week. Paul said in verse 20, to test all, verse 19 actually, to test all prophecies, test all teachings, verse 20 and 21. Test all prophecies, hold on to those prophecies that are good, those teachings that are good, and separate the bad teachings and stay away from them. You're to have a discerning mind. You're listening to me right now. You should be asking, okay, is what Pastor Chris is teaching me, is this good as it aligns with Scripture, or is it off? And if it's off, I'm to stay away from it. Um, Some encouragements. You want to look for a church, when you're thinking about church belief statements, that has a high view of Scripture. A high view of Scripture. What does that mean? It means that when you're part of a church, you want to look for the church that says, We believe that scripture is without error. We believe that scripture, the theological term, is inerrant. It is without error. It is perfect. And not only is it inerrant, but secondly, it is sufficient for all matters of life and godliness. Second Peter chapter 1. So you want to be part of a church that is saying to you, we hold up God's word to the highest possible position. You go back and you read Psalm 138, verse 2. Psalm 138, verse 2. David says, above all else, God, you have elevated two things. One, your name, who you are, and two, your word. Is that a mind blower? Did you know that God values his name and he values his word above you and me? We're not the most valuable thing to God not above his name and his word. And I really believe that churches that hold up God's word, not just as perfect and inerrant, but also sufficient, uh, God will honor them because he honors those things that are his name and his word, Psalm 138, verse 2. And so you want to look for churches that have a high view of Scripture. Scripture is not a myth. 
It's not a uh, book of stories. It's not a book of morals. Okay, this is the very living, breathing words of God. This is the only book that you will ever read and I will ever read that's actually spiritually alive. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is active and living, sharper than any double-edged sword. So we want to look for churches that have a high view of Scripture because when a church abandons that, they start to abandon the authority of God to speak into our lives. And it's not a good thing. Uh, Another exhortation when you're thinking about the beliefs of a church, you want to look for a church that from time to time warns you against false teachers and false teaching. That warns you against about false teachers and false teaching. Why? Is because if you're part of a church that's false, they won't warn you about false teachers and false teaching. Now, you're not going to hear that every week from a church, but if you're there at a church for, you know, six months or longer a year, you should hear something in there about, hey, you know what? There's a false doctrine of the world that's being perpetrated by demons on you. Or this is, there's false teachers teaching you this, or these are false world in some way. That's a really good sign. If you're part of a church, it doesn't have to be every week where they're warning you, but they should warn you from time to time. And that's a sign that they can discern between 1 Thessalonians 5, good and bad teaching. So you want to look for a church with high view of scripture that warn you from time to time about false teachers and false teachings and that preach Christ, which is Jesus said in John 5, that the scriptures are the ones that point to life in him. And uh, the last thing I would say about this is that when you're looking at a church and what they believe, I would not judge a church by one sermon. I would not judge a speaker just by one sermon. Um, In fairness, it's kind of like someone coming up to you and saying, I'm going to judge your whole character by one exchange I had with you when I first met you. None of us would want that. What you want to do is you want to listen to a body of teaching. Now, let let me listen to maybe four or five or half dozen of this person's preaching. Let me just kind of see, and then you'll get a sense for it. Do they believe and teach what the Bible says? So number one, the single most important thing is what does the church believe and teach? Number two, the leadership. Do you believe in the leadership of the church? It's very, very important because when you're part of a church, you are not just saying that um, I want to believe and be taught in the faith. You're actually saying, I want to be part of a certain church. And I tell people, if you want to know what a church is like, Look at the leadership, because who the leadership is will start to permeate uh, spiritually throughout the entire congregation. Do you believe in the leadership? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to turn there with me. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we don't have a lot of time to go through this, but this is a central along with Titus 1, which is a very similar list. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, The Apostle Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy, who's pastoring the church at Ephesus during this time, and he gives him a list of character, mostly character qualifications for elders. Um, Whenever the Bible says elders, presbyters, bishops, overseers, it's all the same. They're all pastors. And so he says this in verse 1 and following to verse 7. And this is the type of leadership you want to look for in a church. He's saying in verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So first thing you want to ask is, does the leadership aspire to want to be pastors? 
Um, if anyone aspires to that, verse 1, if he desires a noble task, verse 1, you want pastors that are not there because they feel like they have to be, okay? Or, or they, they, they have, um, they're grudgingly there. You want pastors, according to verse 1, who want to be there, who desire to be there, who fight to be there. Verse 2, he says, an overseer must be above reproach. That's kind of a blanket term, reproach, which basically means this. It doesn't mean that they're sinless. No one would be a pastor then. What above reproach means is that their life is not open to an accusation that is true, has to be true, that would eliminate them from pastoral ministry to where people would say, well, you're not worthy to be a pastor, period. It doesn't mean do they fall into normal sinfulness every now and then, just like a normal human being. It means is there a serious, egregious thing going on that would eliminate their character qualification completely. The husband of one wife doesn't mean a pastor has to be a uh, married, but if they are, they should have and be faithful to one wife. That's why we know that, again, elders are to be men because it's husband of one wife. Not a wife of one husband, doesn't say. Sober-minded, so this is a person that's serious-minded, to be taken seriously. Self-controlled, um, that they're not someone who's known as reckless. Respectable, do you respect this person overall? Hospitable, this is a person that uh, is willing to say, hey, why don't we go out to lunch? Hey, I'd love to have you over. Hey, you know, let me um, help, help uh, make sure that your needs are taken care of. This is the one thing in verse uh, 2 that's not a character qualification. It's actually gifting. They've got to be able to teach, it says in verse 2. Pastors must be able to teach the word of God. Verse 3, they're not a drunkard. Doesn't mean, he's not talking about do you have a drink of alcohol, but that they're not known as someone who gets drunk. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. So someone who... Um, may perhaps they get into an argument every now and then, but they're not known as an argumentative or mean or cruel person. Not a lover of money. Not someone who's known as greedy or just out to become rich. Verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Verse 5, for if someone does not know how to care, uh, manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So when you look at the leadership of a church, you, and they're married and they have kids, you should look, are their kids submissive to the father? And, you know, sometimes kids are submissive. They go off and be wayward when they become adults. But the issue primarily here is when they're kids, do they in general listen to their parents? That is actually a qualification or a disqualification for pastoral ministry. If you look at a pastor's kids and they are reckless and wayward, that's, that's actually a disqualification from the pastorate. Uh, Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So a person who becomes a believer should not automatically become a pastor. I've talked to pastors before who've gone on mission trips to Latin America. And they say in certain countries in Latin America, when someone comes to faith, if they're 18 years or or, or over, uh, they're automatically considered to be pastors until they prove otherwise. And I can see where they'd want to say that to just kind of hold up a high standard, but that's actually unbiblical. You don't want a new believer to be considered a pastor because they have not developed the emotional and spiritual and character resolve 
to withstand the attacks of Satan. Verse 7, finally, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Is this person have a generally good reputation with those outside the church? So this is the type of leadership that you should look for. I have talked with churches, church pastors of other churches who have elders, like whole elder boards, and I've asked them questions and said, well, you know, um, you know, you, you, uh, you taught them First Timothy 3, verse 1 through 7, right? And you, you kind of hold them to these character qualifications. And they're like, no. I was like, wait, so you have this group of elders, and you're saying that you didn't go through this with them? You, you don't use this as a kind of a, uh, a way of affirming them and also checking them? No. I was like, well, what did you use as criteria for them to be elders? Well, you know, they had success in ministry and they had influence in the church. They had, you know, money. They had whatever. They, they were successful in their business. And so I'm like, that is not the criteria. All right, this is the criteria. And you should use this as you look at leaders in the church. Let me just give a, a few other exhortations on this one. So when you look at the leadership of the church, how do you know if they're good leaders? Well, you can look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, right? I'll give you another way that you can tell. Look at the tribes in which the leader associates with. Look at the peer level other pastors that they uh, learn from or promote. And you will get a sense of who that pastor is. What are the ministries that they associate with? What are the other teachers that they recommend? What type of books do they tell you to read? And it's a bad sign if the pastor never uh, gives a, a, com, a common word of commendation to other pastors or other ministries and say, well, you should learn from them. Only, it's a bad sign if they say, only learn from me. It's a bad sign if you're looking at the pastor and you realize that who they're recommending seem pretty sketchy. So you look at who they keep fellowship with. Uh, That's very, very important. And I'll give you one more exhortation on this one. Is you look at the fruit of the disciples that the leaders are producing. The fruit of the disciples that leaders are producing. So when you look at the ministry, uh, myself or Garen or Mike or Norm, these elders, um, you want to be asking yourself, like, well, who, who are the people that are being discipled by them and what is the outcome of their lives? Is there fruit there? Um, are these people growing in Christ-likeness? And you'll get a sense for if they're good leaders or not. And again, uh, last thing on this, I would never want to judge a leader by a one-time interaction with them. You know, give it a chance. You know, let them disappoint you three or four times before you make, you know, uh, a judgment on them. And then give some grace with that. So, beliefs, leadership number three. The third one is love. Love. When you're part of a church, you want to ask yourself the question, is there love here? Is this a place where I feel that I could be loved? Is this a place where I think I could love others here? You want to know the the reality of the situation? The reality is this. If I was to take you to 12 different churches... Um, and say, um, do you think you could love these people? Do you think that they'd love you back? 
Now, if they're true churches, let's say that they're all just good churches. They got good beliefs. They got good leadership. If I was to take you to a dozen churches that had good beliefs and good leadership, and you were to experience those 12 churches, we would want to assume that all 12 of those churches, you'd be able to say, these people love me and I love these people. We would love to assume that. The reality, though, is different. The reality is that because people are different in different places, you may look at maybe half of those churches and you'd say, here's the reality, Pastor Chris. Um, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. I get that. But if I'm going to be asked upon, do I like these people? Would I want to hang out with people, these people? While I can consider them brothers and sisters in Christ, probably not, no, beyond that. But these other six churches, I could really love these people and they could love me. That's just reality, you guys. Not every church is the same. And so you want to be part of a church where you can look and say, can I love this community of people? And can this community of people love me back? Nobody's perfect. Don't go searching for it, right? Don't be there saying, well, this makes it all clear. City Bible Church has let me down, you know, this one time or the other day. Therefore, they're not, there is that perfect church, Pastor Chris. It doesn't exist. In general, do you feel love? You should feel loved here. In general, um, this should be a place where you can look around at each other and say, you know what? You're not just my brother and sister in Christ, but I, uh, I love you. And may, maybe that I love some of you more than I love others, but, but there's love here. Is that there really, really important? Um, I'll give you, um, in First John, uh, I'm sorry, in John, John chapter 15, I'm sorry, John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Very familiar verse to us. Jesus speaking to the disciples in the upper room in John 13, verse 34 and 35. He gives the one mark of in this con, in this passage about how to distinguish a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By the way, you guys, when the Bible says one another, 95% of the time when you read one another, that phrase, one another, alalon in the Greek, it is referring 95% of the time of one believer to another. So when it says love one another, it is specifically talking about the love of one believer to the love. To another believer. Verse 35, by all, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If what? You have love for the church. This is some of the most um, clarifying verses about who is truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. This just cuts through the lie of Christians out there who say, I'm a believer, I just don't go to church. I'm not part of a church, but I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus here is saying, no, that's not true. You're not my disciple. You're not my disciple. And the reason why is not because of what you say you believe. You're not my disciple because if you were truly my disciple, my Holy Spirit would live in you. My love would come out of you and you would be drawn to other believers. You would be compelled, maybe not to any one particular church, but you would be compelled to be in fellowship with other believers if you were my disciple. And so... Love is very, very important. Can I love these people? Can these people love me back? Um, I'll give you an exhortation on this. Uh, When you're looking at love in a church, that's not the same thing 
as liking people because they're just like you. It's not necessarily the same. Sometimes we can think love, biblical love, is simply liking others that look like us, liking others that have the same socioeconomic status as us, liking others because they're the same race as us, liking others because we have the same hobbies. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. The early church was made of Jew and Gentile, and Jews would go to church, and they'd see other Jews there and say, hey, you're just like me. But they'd look around and say, "Other, Je- oh, no, you're not like me, but we, I love you too, brother. So love in a church does not necessarily stop at liking people who are just like you. What you want to look for is, does this church love people who are different than them? Does this church love the least of these among us? And that's a pretty good sign that there's love, true biblical love there. Um, Number four of six. Beliefs, leadership, love. Number four, movement. When you look at a church, you want to ask yourself the question, where is this church moving towards? Where is this church going? Okay, it's here right now. Where are you headed? Because some churches are not headed anywhere. And some churches are stuck in the past. Not all churches are headed in a forward direction. So that's very important. Would you want to date someone who wasn't going anywhere with their life? Who is going backwards? Well, maybe, you know, if you're a sympathetic heart, that's great. But that's the idea is that you'll, through your love, you'll heal them and they'll move forward, right? But with a church, it doesn't work that way, okay? You might, you know, there might be some good-hearted woman who sees this guy who's down and out and say, through my love, I will heal you and your life will move forward. That's great, right? It don't work that way with church, okay? When you look at a church, it doesn't work like, oh, I'm going to step into this mess and it is through my love that uh, I'm not even pastor here. I will, we will, I will, you guys will use me to change this place. No, that's generally a bad idea. Well, you should look at it and say, is this church, where's the church going? What do they care about? Where are they moving towards? Where is a church moving towards? Is a better question, by the way, than how big is your church? I'll give you a piece of advice, you guys. One of the most obnoxious questions you can ever ask a pastor is what? How big is your church? I get asked that all the time by, by it's not, not like by you guys, obviously, but people outside the church when I talk, oh, I'm a pastor. Well, the second question, well, how big is your church? It's like asking someone, oh, hi, uh, my name's Chris. What's your name? Oh, nice to meet you. Hey, how much money do you have in your bank account? Has anyone ever done that? Has any, would you ever, no, you wouldn't even think to do that, right? You would never think to, to use a quantifiable metric to judge someone. And yet we do that all the time with church. How big is your church? And it's an innocent thing. I get it. I'm telling you, no pastor, the only type of pastor that likes being asked that question is who? A pastor of a large church. Then they love being asked that question. Okay. So, um, what movement is not about size and it's not about busyness. Um, what move, there's really just one answer to this question. Where is your church going? What direction is your church moving? What's the correct answer to that question? There's just really one answer. You go to Matthew chapter 28. 
verse 18 through 20. Uh, by the way, as you guys are turning there, I saw a study that says when pastors get asked how big their church is, they've done studies and they have found that the average pastor exaggerates by 100%. So if a pastor tells you their church is 500 people, and whenever I hear that, in my mind, I just divide it by two, and then I get the correct answer. <laughs> uh, so you never want to put your pastor in the position of lie either, right? Um, Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. This is the correct answer to where is your church going? Where is it moving towards? And Jesus came to them saying, I'm going to tell you where to move to, what direction you're going to go. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them not just to learn what I've taught, but what? To observe, to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the one and only answer that should be given. Where's your church going? What direction is We are headed in the direction to make disciples of Jesus Christ, God, the, and baptizing them in the name of the Trinity to observe all the things that Jesus taught. That is why we, why we are here on this earth. That is why when we got saved, we didn't go immediately to heaven to worship the Lord. We are left here on earth to make disciples of Jesus Christ, teaching them to obey his teachings baptizing them in the name of the Father, and taking that message to the ends of the earth. And uh, you might have just listened to me and thought, well, that's obvious, Pastor Chris, but I will tell you, it's not. It's really not. I have heard from many people how hard it is today to find a Bible-preaching church out there. And you know why? It's because many churches have literally capitulated to the pressures to conform to culture. What does that look like? You can step into churches. I can take you to a number of churches next Sunday. And you'll go there, and they're not about making disciples of Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all of Jesus' commands. You know what they're about? They are about, you come to church because really... Uh, the experience of here, here is to have a, just a fellowship of believers, to have people here just to have friends. Having friends in church is important, but it starts to feel like a bubble. And the church starts to exist just as a fellowship for believers who are not about the Great Commission. You can go to some churches and they will say to you, be part of our church because when you're part of our church, we do so much in the name of social justice to uh, bring together racial reconciliation, to um, help heal the environment, to um, fight for human rights, etc. And that's what the church becomes about and that those kind of churches die. You can go to some churches out there and you will get, you will listen to the preaching. And I've listened to many preachers whose basic message to you is this. Come to church, know Jesus. Why? Is because when you know Jesus, he'll help you to fulfill your dreams. Maybe some people say you'll be healthy, wealthy, and rich. Others people say, well, you know what? You have so much potential and goodness in you that Jesus is going to just unlock it to so you can unleash it on the world. And it starts to feel like Jesus is a means to the ends of your own self-glorification. And so where is this church moving? 
Our church should be about making disciples of Jesus Christ. How do you know that? So when Norm is up here a few moments ago, and he's saying, you know what, we're going to have another baptism service. There's some people thinking about getting baptized. That is the direction we're headed in. When you hear about people um, observing the teachings of Jesus Christ and growing in the ways of the Lord, that is where our church is headed. When I was um, in my early 20s, I've shared this with some of you before, but um, I wanted to, uh, my first career choice was actually not being a pastor. It was to be a journalist. Um, When I was younger, I was very nerdy. uh, And I I had my friends, their heroes, their heroes went by the names of Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan. And that's where, where the heroes of my friends were. Okay. I enjoyed it, right? I, I was like into Showtime during the 80s. I'm that old, but, uh, but those were not my heroes. My heroes went by the name, names of Ted Koppel, David Brinkley, Peter Jennings, Dan Rather, Tom Brokaw, um, George Will. These are all these journalists that would appear on Sundays on these talk, political economic talk shows. I go, I want to be like those guys, right? And my, my dream when I was younger is I wanted to be the first Asian American, um, like talk show host, political talk show host. And, um, and so that's, that was me, right? And, and then I realized how unrealistic that was and I didn't really want that. And then I wanted to go into business. And I was serving during the church during this time, and I was seeing these young people having their lives changed by Jesus Christ. And I was looking at this, I'm going, okay, journalism, business, seeing people's lives change for all of eternity. This, that, I go, you know what? I want my life to be about this. Because the only two things that last forever are what? God and other people. And so when I was about 23, 24 years old, I made a decision that has impacted the last 30 years of my life, almost 30 years. And that decision was this. I said, the direction of my life is going to be guided by two questions. How the, I answer these two questions are going to inform like, what I do with my life, who I marry, who my friends are, will be guided by these two questions. Question one was, I said, who I'm going to spend my time with. And I actually applied this even to my, you know, to my nuclear family that I grew up in. I said, who am I going to spend my time with? Question one, who is willing to become a disciple of Jesus Christ? If you're an unbeliever, but you're willing and open to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm going to spend time with you. If you're a believer who's kind of fallen away from church, but is, is, is wanting to come back, I'm going to spend time with you. Who is willing and open to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ? That was question one. And second, who is making disciples of Jesus Christ? Those are the two questions that have guided my life for the past almost 30 years. And uh, a lot of people got mad at me because they said, well, why don't you hang out with us anymore? And I'm like, hey, we're friends. Or even, even with some believers, brothers and sisters of Christ. Hey, we're, we're brothers and sisters of Christ still, but, the, but here's the thing. If you're making disciples of Jesus Christ, or if you're open to it, then let's go. But if you're not, you know, I I think I'm being disobedient to the Lord. Because Ephesians chapter 5 says that the days are evil. So redeem the time. Live as wise, not as foolish. The days are evil. So redeem the time. 
And I can honestly say for almost the past 30 years, as I look back on my life, I've redeemed the time because I've been about moving in the direction, the main direction the Lord wants for your life. Let me ask you a question. You're here. Some of you, you're successful in your career. Some of you are looking for a career. Some of you are married. Some of you are looking for someone to get married. Um, and, and as you think about how you're spending your time, and that spends from everything from legitimate things like a job or you're investing in your marriage or your children or serving people all the way to this other perspective of, no, I'm just really embroiled in sin or somewhere in the middle, I'm playing video games all day, whatever that might be, right? Ask yourself, um, if I was to redeem the time, how much of my life is about moving in the direction of making disciples of Jesus Christ? Like, if we, if we were to ask anyone else about you and say, um, and I'll just choose someone, I, I like Alexis or, or Melody or Sarah, you know, or, or Garen. And, 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 like, if I was to ask you this question or any one of you and say, could you name me some names that, of people that you know? That would name, if I was to go up and talk to that person and ask them, you know, has, has this, this person, Garen or Melody or Sarah, whoever, been instrumental in you becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ? Would they name your name? Would anyone name your name? And when I started to look at it from that criteria, I got convicted when I was younger because I was like, would anyone name my name if, the, if they were asked, who has been instrumental in helping you become a disciple of Jesus Christ? Would they name my name? Would they name your name? Many of you would say yes, and you are to be commended for that. If you do, are not sure, or you would say no, you, you have to do a real self-evaluation of your life, you guys. Because if you're at this church, I can guarantee you, to my dying breath, this church is going to be about making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the direction we're, we're headed in. And you want to be part of that. All right, number five. Um, beliefs, leadership, love, movement. Number five, is this a place where I can serve? Is this a place where I can get involved in serving? Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, all talk about how we as believers have been given a, at least one, if not more, spiritual gifts. God has downloaded something called spiritual gifts into your spirit to help you move at a supernatural speed with supernatural impact when you serve. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Some of you have the gift of encouragement, the gift of mercy, the gift of service, the gift of leadership. I want you to listen to this in 1 Peter chapter 4. Turn with me there. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. 1 Peter 4, verse 10. Listen to what Peter says. As each, that's believers, as each has received a gift, that is a spiritual gift, so every believer has gotten at least one spiritual gift, use it to serve one another. Remember that phrase, one another, that's serving one believer to another. So spiritual gifts are not primarily to be used in the world. They're to be used where? In the church and for the church. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Keep your eyes there at the end of verse 10. He says, that your spiritual gift or gifts that have been given to you, according to the end of verse 
10 have been given to you so that you may serve the body of Christ, serve one another, that you are a steward. God is looking you at a steward of what? His grace in your life. God has given you his grace. He's given you a stewardship over your spiritual gifts. And you and I will be held accountable by God for the use of those gifts. When you serve faithfully, you will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the reward of your master. You don't want to take your gift and bury it in the sand. And serving is a way that we use our spiritual gifts. You want to be asking yourself when I'm part of a church, is this a place I can serve? Is this a place where the leadership equips me for the work of the ministry? You know, um, one of the big problems that we have had in the church is that we have called you the wrong the wrong thing. For probably at least 30 years in the American church, pastors have looked out at their congregations and they have said to you, we need volunteers to volunteer to help the church. And we have called you volunteers. You are not a volunteer. You know what a volunteer is? A volunteer is, is a name for someone that the world says in the world of business or sports where, hey, you know, I just had someone come up to me the other day. You know, Ethan's playing AYSO soccer and this woman comes up to me. Hey, can you volunteer to be a soccer ref, you know, on Saturdays? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of busy on Saturdays and stuff. But in my mind, I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to volunteer to be a soccer ref. I mean, Garen can do that. He's a pro. But having the, all those parents yell at you every single Saturday, I don't know about that. But uh, I, so I chose to help out in different ways. But, um, but they asked me to volunteer, right? And I chose to volunteer in a different way. A volunteer is a term that we give for people to say, take some extra time that you have when you're not busy to help us out out of the goodness of your own heart. That's not how the church talks about you. That's not how the Lord talks about you. He doesn't call you volunteers. He calls us what? Servants. He actually calls us slaves to him. And so we need to see ourselves that way. It is my duty to take the spiritual gifts that God has given to me. It is my duty to be a good steward of that. First Peter chapter four, verse 10. God has given me this grace. I must steward it well and use it to serve one another in the church. I have a duty to that because I'm not a volunteer. Is there anyone here that's, um, that's not busy? Let me ask, right? Is there anyone here that we, oh, you know what, Pastor Chris? I just have so much time on my hands, so much disposable time. My life isn't, we're all busy. Every single one. I don't think there's anyone in this room that's not busy. And so um, the real question is, how do we see ourselves? And servants say, I'm going to make time for the things that are important because I've determined that the Lord's church, the body of Christ, is very important because there's no other community in my world, government, schools, clubs, whatever that might be, that can offer the gospel other than the church. And so the church needs me and I need the church. Number six, finally for today, looking at a church, what do they believe? What is their leadership like? Is there love there? What direction of movement are they headed? Are they moving in a direction that's God's uh, direction? Can I serve there? And number six, is this a place where I'm growing spiritually? Is this a place where I'm growing spiritually? Now, it works both ways, you guys. 
And if I was straight with you, I'd say this. Um, I think we do a pretty good job at this church to help people grow spiritually. I think we give opportunities for people to serve. I think we're a biblical church. I think that we are, we have fantastic leaders here and they really care. I think we have seen many, many people grow spiritually, grow in Christ likeness. But it works two ways. All right. So when I say, is this a place where I can grow spiritually or spiritually grow? It's not all on the leadership. It's also on you. You cannot grow if you're not here. We cannot force you and, and, and to get out of bed to be here. And that's not on us. It's on you. It works both ways. And I shouldn't even have to say that. You know that. That's just how life is. You don't play on the sports team if you don't show up to practice. You don't get paid if you don't show up to work. You know? Um, it's the same thing with church. You can't spiritually grow if you're not here. And that's just the bottom line. And I've been really, I, I've been really had my world rocked um, over this past year because when I um, went to the hospital last year, I had a lot of time to think over the past five days, over those days that I was in the hospital. And uh, there's two scriptures that really the Lord has used to convict my own heart about my own spiritual maturity or lack of spiritual maturity, especially as it relates to the Apostle Paul. Okay, Now follow me on this. I realize that if I compare myself as a pastor to you, um, I'm smart enough to make the case to say, I'm a lot more spiritually mature than you because I'm a pastor and, you know, most of you guys are not. And I, all, I you know, knowing my own heart, I'm always going to look at the best of me and the worst of you if I want to make that comparison. So it's pretty easy for me to do that if I compare myself to you. However, when I compare myself to Paul, I see a very different picture. And I want to show you these two scriptures about what I realized about my own life and how far short I am, not just of Christ, but of Paul. In Philippians chapter 1, he says this. He's talking to the Philippian church, um, and he says this in verse 23 and 24 of chapter 1. He said, look, um, I'm hard-pressed. I want to depart and be with Christ, verse 23, for that's far better. But verse 24, he says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, on your account. And he says, convinced of this, I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and the joy and faith, verse 25. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, if I had my choice as a spiritually mature Christian, what I'd want to do is just leave right now and go be with Christ. But, I know for me to stay here on earth is better for you, so I'm happy to be here for your faith and progress. And I read, I looked at that verse, and you know, when I was in that hospital and I almost died, my, a lot of my prayer was like, God, just save me. Save me. Would you, would you be gracious to me? Would you save me, Lord? Because there's so much I want to experience here on this earth. You know, uh, my, my wife, my kids, you guys, I, I want to live. I want to experience things, things I haven't done. I want to do that. And, you know, it wasn't my only prayer, but it was a main prayer. God heal me because I want to stick around here. And when I read this in Paul, this is what I realized. I go, no, you know what? I don't think I can honestly say the same thing that Paul was saying here in verse 23, 24, and 25, uh, 23. Because what Paul was saying is, no, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'd actually rather go to be with Christ. And here I was in the hospital going, no, I want to stay. 
Okay, I want to stay. That's really what I want. Yeah, I know I'm going to, I had no doubt if I died, I was going to go to heaven. No doubt. But I wanted to stay. And it showed me how different I thought than how Paul thought. And what about you, right? This is, this is the standard in which you and I are to be at. To say, I'd rather be with Christ now. And I wonder how many of us can say this. But I want to show you a second verse um, on this spiritually growing. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. This verse, when I've read this verse hundreds of times, but it rocked my world when I saw it in light of comparing myself to Paul. Could I say the same thing that Paul was saying about his life? Could I say that about this is the desire of my heart that he was saying in verse 10 and 11, chapter 3? Philippians 3, verse 10 and 11. Paul says that, um, that I may know him, that's Christ, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now look, keep your eyes on verse 10 and 11. I think myself and for most of you, if not all of you, can agree with half of this, what Paul is saying here. See, when we read verse 10 and 11, we really like the idea of when Paul's saying, I may know him. Do you want to know Jesus? Yes. And then he says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. Does anyone want the power of the resurrection? Yes. Verse 11, that, does anyone want to attain the resurrection from the dead? Yes. That sounds great. Sign me up. I want that. I'm mature. I want the same things that Paul does. And what I had forgotten was the other thing that Paul was saying here, which is what? In verse 10, that I may know him, and not just the power of his resurrection, but what? And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is what Paul wanted. He was begging the Lord. Lord, help me to share in your sufferings. I'm asking you, Lord, it's a privilege for me to share in your sufferings. I want to be like you in your death, putting my sinful flesh, well, though Jesus wasn't sinful, but put, crucifying my flesh uh, by denying myself as Christ died on the cross for my sins. And he showed me what it was to sacrifice. I want to sacrifice myself for you. I want to suffer for you. I want to have the privilege of identifying with Jesus in that way. I don't think I've prayed that anytime recently. Have you? And if you're at this church, what you must realize is that our goal is not so you can live life to the fullest. Our goal is what Paul's talking about here. If I'm going to present you mature in Christ, which is the charge that Paul says in the book of Colossians, this is where you should get to. Where you say, you know what? Whatever's happening to me here on earth, I long to be with Christ and I'm ready to go right now. And I don't just want Christ's blessings and his power and his new life. I actually want to share in his sufferings because I know that suffering crucifies my flesh and that's good for me. And so hopefully that's happening here at that, this church. And so as we've gone through this, beliefs, leadership, love, movement, serving, and growing spiritually, my hope 
is that you've been looking at your experience here at City Bible Church and saying, yeah, I, I, I can agree with this. It's not perfect church. It's not a perfect people. These leaders are not perfect. I'm looking at you, and sometimes you annoy me, but I love you anyway. But I, but I like this church. This is the place because this is, this is what I should be looking for. And, um, and if you do, man, God's going to do some incredible things, I do believe, through this church and through you. It's going to be fantastic.